I said, uh, I said this in the first gathering. I, I don't even know if you guys knew I've been gone a little bit. Um, but I've been actually, from my end, gone long enough to feel actually almost like a visitor this morning. And it's so fun to feel like you're at a visitor at a church and then think, wow, I love this church. And I do. It's just uh, so good to see everybody. Everybody having a good summer? Yeah, um, yeah, sweet. Just, I want to thank the elders in the, in the church for allowing me to live out some of my passions. Um, one of those is, is leading trips to Israel. And again, Israel is really just the excuse to do what I feel Jesus did uh, for his ministry. And in one sense, it's contrived in that for two weeks with 59 people, were removed from the real life, our, our real jobs, our, our families, and all of that. But in another sense, I feel like for those two weeks, we get to participate in something that is so Jesus-like, because the Bible says that Jesus made disciples, and that they were with him 24-7, 365. And we got a little taste of that, and it's such privilege uh, to, to just be able to serve uh, the people that went. And then um, I'm thinking about putting part two, which is Acts and the New Testament, the epistles, the Paul, uh, John part to this. So I stopped in Greece when Greece was falling apart. It was just humbling to see a whole nation at every ATM machine. You just saw 10, 15 people lining up to get cash out. But more than that, when you talk to the actual people, there's, there was real fear real fear about the future and the uncertain times that we live. Um, and then to go to a place like Rome and to see the, the church as it grew. And I'll just hold my tongue right now because uh, I have a lot to say. I have, I have a lot of things that are burning in here, but I'd rather not say them right now because they might not come out right. Uh, but we have to be careful to not add layers of human-centered stuff to what Jesus and the disciples handed off to us. And I burn that today more than I did a month ago. And so I just want to thank you for just letting me have those experiences. Um, so, we're in Hebrew still, right? Yeah or no? <laughs> okay, Hebrews 11. I kind of woke up this morning thinking I, thinking I had one verse, and then I looked, and I'm like, holy cow, I have two verses. Um, so last minute, I tried to sneak that other little verse in there, but we're primarily going to look at verse 20 and a little bit of verse 21. Uh, you sit for my words, but let's, with excitement, stand for the reading of God's word. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau... In regards to their future. That's my text. Would you like to preach a sermon on that? And then verse 21, by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. This is God's word. You can be seated. <laughs> by faith Isaac blessed. And we're looking at Hebrews 11 and we've said that Hebrews 11 is kind of like the hall of fame 
um, that place in God's word where uh, the greats, we read about the greats, and the stuff that we read about the greats is kind of like a highlight tape. And then I read this, by faith Isaac blessed. Like, why, why is this such a great act of faith? Why, why is this Isaac's the highlight of his life? He blessed. Again, we, we need to know the text. We, we, we need to know Genesis. We, we need to know what's going on to understand the significance of what Isaac does here. And then in the next verse, what Jacob does. So we probably should have done this when you were standing, but that's okay. Let's go to Genesis 27. Genesis 27 is really what the writer of Hebrews is referring to. I like how the NIV broke this up because my chapter heading actually starts a few verses before verse 27. Because this is all part of what's going on. It says, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Beri, the Hittite. A pagan. And also, Basimath, daughter of Elon, the Hittite. A pagan. And they were a source of grief to his parents, Isaac and Rebekah. But when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau's older son and he said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I'm now an old man and I don't know the days of my death. Now then, go get your equipment, your quiver and bow and go out to the open country to do what you do. You are a warrior, a man's man. Hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you the blessing before I die. Now, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, hears all this. Rebecca, being kind of crafty, maybe manipulative, deceitful, takes matters into her own hands and says, no, Esau is not the one to get the blessing. It's my other son, Jacob. And you know the story. So they, together, Rebecca and Jacob, devised this plan where he's going to dress up as Esau and trick the father into giving him the blessing. So that's kind of the, the backdrop to Hebrews 11. Let me start with this so we can understand blessing because I don't think we do this in our world that much. In the ancient world, when a father got to the end of his life, what he would do is he would gather his sons. Interesting, Jacob is not included in this. And he would have a formal ceremony where he would bless them. And this wouldn't be the only time in the life when a father in the ancient world would bless their sons. They would do this informally throughout their life. But at the end of the life, there would be this formal ceremony with, with a formal blessing. And so if you know the story, as I mentioned, Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And both of these sons covet this blessing. 
Jacob the younger is literally willing to dress up like Esau to get it. Then you read at the end, and when Esau realizes he's been tricked, he practically falls apart because he doesn't get it. And then the father Isaac, when he realizes that he blessed Jacob instead of Esau, practically has a heart attack. That's all in the story. My question is why? Over what? Well, I think part of the reason why we don't understand what's going on is we don't understand what a big deal uh, blessing is. This is more than just well-wishing. This is more than just uh, offering some words of encouragement. See, I think the ancients understood something that we kind of have forgotten today, that spoken words are potent. And so to put this in the playground jargon, the thing that we said when we were kids, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt me. An ancient would say this, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can corrupt and destroy my whole life. Because they understand that spoken words are potent. They understand how they can wound, how they can hurt. Also how spoken words can build up, how they can bring life. That they can go a long way in shaping a person's identity and their destiny. And I think every parent and child in this room right now knows exactly what I'm talking about. The power of words. The power of a parent's words to their children. It's powerful. Now also the ancients understood something about words too in a spiritual sense. They understood this thing called spiritual discernment. Spiritual discernment is what happens when I walk closely with God and closely with other people. Through these relationships, God begins to download things from his heart to our hearts to be able to say, to bless the hearts of those around us, to lift up, to shape, and all of that. Now, this is not this, I got a word from God. I just want to make that clear right now. Um, Sometimes people come up to me and just say, you know, Rod, I got a word from the Lord that uh, you're too much this, or you need to be doing this, or Crossroads is missing it on this. And I'm just like... You don't even know me, okay? That's not what this is. This is when people like my mom, my dad, my wife, my sons and daughter, my close friends come to me as they're walking with God and walking with me. They discern things and they speak that discernment into my life. That's potent. That is power. And so this is what Isaac is doing. Isaac is at the end of his life and he's gathering his sons to lay hands on them, to to speak spiritual discernment over them, uh, to drill deep into their hearts who they are and what they are to be for God. Fathers, are you doing this? Are you doing this with your children? Are you using the power of of, of the spoken word as you're close to your children to to, to bless? To 
bless. Fathers, we have to be about this. Now, in the ancient world, there's, there's a special blessing for the firstborn. The blessing of, uh, of the firstborn is, in effect, basically having the most powerful, influential person in the clan, the patriarch, say, you are hugely important to me, you are hugely important to this family, there's no one like you. And this is what Jacob and Esau are competing for. They want their dad to be so pleased and so proud of them to speak this kind of blessing, this blessing of the firstborn over them, to hear their dad say to them how hugely they are important to him, how hugely they are important to their family, to hear their dad say, son, there's there's really no one like you. I think if we're all honest this morning, I think we all crave the blessing of the firstborn. I think our hearts have been made to crave the blessing of the firstborn. To have people who we admire the most and respect and look up to for them to believe in us, to highly value us, to think good things about us. And and I don't care what pop psychology says here. Because pop psychology will say, you can bless yourself. Who cares what everybody else around you says about you? What's important is what you say about you. But I think that that's all. Give me a good word. Because the, the, not a good word's coming to my mind right now. (laughs) We need someone we respect. Who respects us. To feel respectable. We need someone we really value, who genuinely values us, to feel of worth. We can't bless ourselves. Someone from the outside has to do it. Jacob, in this story, I think is a powerful picture of what most of us will do to the great lengths that we will go to get the blessing. We dress up like someone else. We pretend to be someone we're not. We cover over our flaws and our weaknesses and we hide all of our failures. We don't let anyone know who we really are. We dress up. This is essentially what Jacob does. In fact, if you read the story in Genesis 27, you need to know Jacob is not a little boy and he's not doing dress up with his mom And mom's now dressing up little Jacob. Jacob is a grown man. And mom and son as a grown man are playing dress up together. Look at verse 15. And Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son Jacob. She covered his hands and the smooth part of, it, of, the neck, of his neck with goat skins. And then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and bread that she had made. And then he went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau. I am your firstborn. I want you to feel that. 
And I want you to ask yourself, are you any different than Jacob? Because I think, and I'm, I'm saying this to myself first and foremost, I want you to hear this. But I think Christians are better at dress up than any other grouping that I know of. We dress up all the time. We pretend to be something we're not all the time. There is a reason why 20-somethings are leaving the church, leaving Christianity, because they're tired of being around people who like to play dress-up. They want real. I'll tell you why there's so, many, so much dressing up. I, I still think we as Christians crave the blessing of the firstborn. We long for it. Our, our hearts are, are, are in need of it. And then think about all the ways that we, we as Christians uh, go about dressing ourselves up. We, we use our accomplishments and our careers to dress ourselves up. These are, these are easy things to hide behind. They provide wonderful masks. I've done this. I've accomplished this. I've won this. We use things like our homes and our neighborhoods that we live and the cars that we drive and and our material possessions is another way to dress up. It just creates this, this wonderful mask for us to hide behind so that no one can see us. We use our relationships. We're just as good as the world at using social media like Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat. I don't even know the names of these things. Twitter. Uh, But I know that we use them to dress ourselves up. To make people believe something about ourselves that maybe isn't true. And maybe the, 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 the most disgusting way that we dress up is we actually use God and spirituality. And we dress ourselves up with all of this spirituality so you can think I'm this. But if you could really get behind it all. I love the question that Isaac asked Jacob his dad when he walks in. Or that, that, uh, that Isaac a- asks his son Jacob. Verse 18, who is it? Because in Hebrew, it's this. Who are you? Here comes Jacob, all dressed up before his dad, pretending to be someone else. Who are you, Jacob? And what about you? Me? Who are we? Do you know? Do, 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 do people really know today who you are? Do they know all of you? Or maybe let me ask it from this angle. Why, why can't anyone ever see your flaws? Your brokenness, your failures, your mistakes, your struggles. Why do you feel the need to dress up? To hide? And look at Jacob's answer in verse 19. 
I am Esau, and the emphatic in the Hebrew, I am your firstborn son. In fact, if you know anything about Isaac's relationship with his two sons, you'll know that Isaac is a hunter-warrior, a man's man, and his dad's favorite. Jacob is more of a mama's boy. He's not even invited to this party. So it's easy for us, I think, to imagine that Jacob's whole life, he had to watch his dad over and over again, take delight in his older brother Esau, be satisfied with Esau, and the whole time, hey, dad, here I am. I mean, it was easy for Jacob to probably think, yeah, my brother Esau, he's the strong one. I'm the weak one. Esau's the mighty warrior. I'm the tent dweller. Esau's the outgoing one. I'm more of the introvert. Esau's the likable one. I'm the unlikable one. Esau makes dad proud. Hey, dad. (laughs) Do you like me? Proud of me? This is a family that some of you grew up in. And we all have family dynamics that, that, that can make us feel strong things about who we are and our place in this world. Uh, sometimes those are feelings of being less than or feeling less than. Sometimes it's feeling like you're always on the outside and you're never really in. And, and sometimes it's just feelings of shame. Shame. Verse 24, this drama keeps building. Are you really my son, Esau? The dad says. Verse 26, it even builds further. The whole thing now is just really slowing down and it's, it's, it's dialing in. He says, come close to me and, and, and kiss me. And then verse 27 says, when Jacob comes close, he comes face to face. It's almost as if Isaac in that moment gets intoxicated with the smell of Esau. And he says, oh, my son, my blessed son. And I have to think maybe in that moment, Jacob, maybe for the first time, gets the look from his dad that he's always longed for. My dad, he likes me. He's proud of me. Ah, the smell of my son, the text says, coming from Jacob. May God make you great. May the Lord, may you lord over your brothers and peoples bow to you and may nations serve you. And in that moment, Jacob finally gets the blessing. Or does he? Yeah, he got the look that he always longed to get from his dad, his, his father's affection, his father's delight. But is his dad really delighting in him? Because really, at the end of the day, the blessing can only be as real to Jacob as Jacob is real. Because deep within, Jacob has to know that his father is blessing someone Jacob knows himself not to be. Who are you, Jacob? I'm Esau. I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. I'm a phony. 
And here's how we know that, that Jacob never received the blessing that day uh, from his father because years later, Jacob's life's going to come to that watershed moment where he's going to be wrestling with this mysterious figure. The Bible describes as the angel of the Lord. I see this as pre-incarnate Christ, and they're wrestling, and they're wrestling. And the whole time, Jacob's saying, bless me, bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. What we see there is a man still in desperate need of the blessing. Because one cannot possibly get a blessing when they're dressing up and pretending to be someone else. Now, if you think Jacob's dysfunctional, ask yourself, where does this dysfunction come from? I'll tell you where it comes from. And this was, a, this was a hard pill for me to swallow. This dysfunction comes from his dad. And fathers, I want us right now to man up because we, generally speaking, are, are the most responsible for the dysfunction of our families, whether it be uh, our wives our kids, that they are largely a reaction and a response to us. And I think that's even hinted at in the first verses where it says Isaac is blind. This blindness is a picture of of the spiritual blindness that's going on in Isaac's life. He, He can't spiritually See, he can't spiritually discern, so he can't properly bless. And if you want to know the root of, of Isaac's problem, it's, it's, it's not a lack of spirituality. It, it, it's not him having a lack of, of a walk with God. His problem is one thing. Disobedience. And the reason I, I, I know this is because in Genesis 25, verse 23, when those two twins are in Rebekah's womb, God has already made it clear, Jacob is the one. Jacob. And so he is flat out rejecting God in his word. He doesn't like God's choice. He insists on Esau. He insists on the strong one, the valiant one, the likable one, the popular one. Yet with God, it doesn't work that way because God likes to choose the weak things, the unlikable things, sometimes even the despicable things. Because that's God's way. Because here's the deal with God. It's not like God is up there looking down and and, and saying, where are the good guys? Where are the good guys? He's not doing that. God's the one who's good. And God does what he does, what he does because of his grace. His grace. In fact, verse 33 when, when, when Isaac realizes what he did, because Esau comes in in the room and says, okay, I brought you the meal. Let's go, Dad. Bless me. All of a sudden, Isaac realizes, and it says, Isaac trembles 
violently. In other words, there, there's this earthquake that's going on inside of him because all these years, Isaac has had his heart set on Esau. It's Esau in this verse, in this moment. We see the resignation of Isaac. Isaac finally goes God's way when he says, Indeed, indeed, Jacob will be blessed. And Esau pleads with his dad. I can hear him saying, that little cheat, he cheated me out of my birthright. Now he's cheating me out of the blessing of the firstborn. Bless me, Father. And I can see his dad just saying, Esau, I love you. In fact, he does bless him, but it's not with the blessing of the firstborn. And, And then Isaac, in that moment, he finally goes God's way. He gives up the Esau way, which to me is the, is the way of the world. It's through the strong, it's through the mighty, it's through the capable, it's through the likable, the powerful, the skilled. For the first time, Isaac submits and goes God's way. And what's God's way? God's way is through the lesser and the weaker and the unlikable. It's through Jacob, who I think is the most despicable person in the whole story. <laughs> Because with God, it's grace, unmerited grace, unmerited grace. In fact, if you know anything about the book of Genesis, and this is one of the main themes, not only of Genesis, but of the whole Bible, when you look at the family through which God is going to redeem the world, you start to read Genesis and you start to realize, yeah, they're, uh, they're all bad. I mean, even in our story right here, Rebecca is a controlling, manipulative wife, Esau first despises his birthright, then marries pagan women, showing no respect to his father or his father's God. Jacob is a liar and a cheat, and Isaac is the straw that stirs the whole drink. And we got some little baby over there saying amen. Like I said, with God, there are no good guys, bad guys. There are no heroes. There are no saints. As we understand the word saint, there are only sinners who are in desperate need of God's grace. Even Hebrews 11 is here to teach us that. As we go through Hebrews 11, there is no hall of fame. Or if there is a hall of fame, there's only one person in it. Jesus. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, God unleashes his grace into the lives of people who don't seek it, who don't deserve it, who sometimes resist it, and don't appreciate it even after they've been saved by it, because he says, that is the scandalous grace of God. And this is God's way. Have you gone it? See, some of you are still like Isaac and you're still fighting God's way. You still think it's all about you and it's all about your performance or the spiritual performance of your family, how good you are and how good you can look and how good your family can look. It's why you're still hiding. It's why you're dressing up. It's why you're still pretending because you don't believe in your heart. It's all grace. So you perform the part and you dress up like Esau. As if God can't see through your charade. 
But I want you now to feel the weight of Hebrews 11, verse 20, when it says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regards to the future. And then when you think about the whole story, Jacob's going to become Israel. His name's going to switch. And he's going to become the father of this people, Israel. And Israel as a people are going to get the blessing of the firstborn from God himself because God is going to be their father and he's going to call Israel my firstborn son. What does all this mean? I think sometimes we take this to mean that God loves Jacob but doesn't like Esau. Are you kidding? Esau didn't stop being Isaac's son that day. In fact, Isaac blessed him. He just didn't get the blessing of the firstborn. And here's what I want us to hear more than almost anything else this morning. The blessing of the firstborn in the ancient world had very little to do with perks and privileges. But everything to do with greater responsibility and any perks and privileges that were attached to the blessing of the firstborn were only because now the responsibility to care for the whole family was placed on who got that blessing. And so if God is Israel's father and Israel is God's firstborn son, they in effect have been given responsibility to care massively for every one of God's children on the face of the earth. And I'll tell you, Jacob, now I'll get to the text that I wasn't going to preach this morning, but I can't believe the goodies that are there. Because Jacob gets to the end of his life, and now he's got to do the blessing. He has all 12 sons before him, but who does he bless first? Joseph's sons. Why Joseph's sons? Because Joseph's sons represent that double honor, the blessing of the firstborn that's given to Joseph. But think about who Joseph's sons are. Their names are Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh is the older, Ephraim's the younger. Even as Jacob is blessing these two, he chooses the younger Ephraim to get the blessing of the firstborn. And Joseph in that moment says, wait a second, Dad, you're getting this thing wrong. Ephraim's the younger. Jacob says, no, he will get the blessing of the firstborn. And the significance of this is massive because who are Joseph's sons? Their mom is a pagan Egyptian priestess, and even to this day, a mother determines if you're a Jew, if you're part of God's family. If your mother is Jewish, then you're a Jew. In other words, Ephraim and Manasseh are Gentiles. They're pagan Gentiles at that. And even Jacob, when he first sees them, he says, who are these guys? And yet Hebrews 11:21 says, By faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed the sons of Joseph, these pagan Gentiles, who are now adopted into Jacob's family. And of the 12 sons, they get the blessing of the firstborn. And listen to what Jacob says to Ephraim. Through you, Ephraim, will be the fullness of the, of the nations. 
That doesn't have to mean anything to you, but my heart's dancing when I read that. Because God's heart at the very beginning was not to accept you and to reject you, but to accept you so you can partner with me to reach you. Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to every tribe, people, group, family, and the face of the earth. You know what Hebrews 12, verse 23 says about Christians? I want us to hear this. It says, we are the church of the firstborn. (laughs) Which means God has placed the blessing of the firstborn on us. Which isn't just about perks and privileges. But now we carry the mantle of responsibility to care for all God's children on the face of the earth. And we bless because God first blessed us. Do you know what it costs God to bless us? Do you know what bless means in the most literal sense of the word? It means to bend your knee It means to make yourself small. God starts off the whole plan of salvation by saying, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make myself small to make your name great, to make your family great, to exalt you so you can bless, bend the knee, make yourself small to bless the world. Do you see the God of the universe bending his knee to you in Christ? Making himself so small, nothing, serving you, washing your feet, being poured out, being orphaned by his father. He did that to redeem you, to wash you, to exalt you, to remake you, to adopt you into his family as his beloved child. In fact, Jesus dressed up like us so we could be dressed up like him. He took our filthy rags so we could be clothed in his righteousness. As Paul said in Ephesians, praise be to God our Father who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us. He adopted us into his family. He redeemed us in accordance to the riches of his grace. Let me just end with this question. Have you received your Father's blessing? I'm not talking about your earthly father. I'm talking about your heavenly Father who's blessed you with the blessing of the firstborn through Christ. Or are you still going your way? Are you still hiding? Are you still pretending? Are you still dressing up? Are you still trying to make this all about you and all about your effort? My application is, stop it. Get real. Stop performing. Stop hiding. 
Stop making this all about, your, about you. And like Isaac, tremble. Tremble at his word. Isaiah 66 verse 2 ha- says this, Has not my hand made all these things? So they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. And God's word is grace. It's grace. God, this morning in my own heart, in the hearts of all of us here, there are many of us who still, like Jacob, dress up. Because we feel like we need to be like Esau in this Esau world that's all about strong and capable, competent. And yet, God, your heart is the heart of, towards people who humble themselves. And you say, God, I can't do it in and of myself. And I'm done pretending, and I'm done hiding, and I'm done putting on the charade. I need you. I need your grace. And all I can offer you, God, is my need. Here it is. So this morning I pray, God, that that would be the prayer of our hearts, that whatever form or whatever words we use, that we would repent of going the Esau way, God, and we'd go your way. And we'd not trust ourselves or the measure of our faith that we can give to you, but that we would trust you. All that you've done for us in Christ that our faith, it's the object of our faith. It's who we trust in. Amen.